you already know that the pelvic floor is attached to, well, a lot of functions and a lot of structures. But did you know that the pelvic floor is also connected to the subtalar joint and to the rib cage? Tonight, we're going to teach you how. Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. Welcome back to the Therapists in Motion podcast series at Spooner Physical Therapy. I'm Michelle Babcock. It's been quite a few episodes since I've been here, but I'm excited to be back with Larissa Shapps, who's also from Spooner, and our guest tonight, Tina Christie. Tina is, gosh, a pelvic floor specialist like you can't imagine, and you're going to learn a lot from her today. She's the women's health and men's health manager, right, Tina? Yes. At Athletico. Um, she's the president of Pelvic Solutions in Chicago, and she's a fellow of applied functional science through the Gray Institute, as well as she has developed and teaches the course Female Chain Reaction all around the world. Welcome, Tina. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> So, gosh, where do we start? I'll tell you, one of the things that I appreciate most about Tina is her approach to treating women and men um, with pelvic floor dysfunction and how she incorporates the whole body because of her great knowledge of applied functional science. So, Tina, let's just start with you explaining to all of us the pelvic core neuromuscular system as you define it yourself. Well, it's been interesting. I had the pleasure of meeting Gary Gray back in 1992. And prior to that, I had taken a number of women's health courses. And of course, they talk about the pelvic floor in all those courses. Rightly so. We have to have a starting point. But then when I learned about applied functional science, it really started to connect some dots that I felt were missing. And I saw a gap, or as Gary would say, a gaposis <laughs> in the world of orthopedics, sports performance, sports medicine, athletes, and how it relates to what we see in the women's health world. There was a definite gap that existed. If you were a women's health therapist, you mainly focused on the pelvic floor. If you were an orthopedic therapist, you said, I don't want to know anything about the pelvic floor. And they would not come to the courses because they would think that's a women's health specialty. So the pleasure was being able to meet Gary and say, you know what, we can actually connect dots that will bring it full circle. And after I talked to him about potentially developing a course, he finally looked at me and said, you know, I think you should run with this. And the female chain reaction was born in 2005. We taught our first course in 2006. And one of the points that we cover in that course is something called the pelvic core neuromuscular system. That system is a combination of a number of muscles, nerves, fascial tissue. That includes the respiratory diaphragm at the top, the abdominal muscles at the front, the back and hip muscles at the back, and the pelvic floor muscles at the bottom. We know that they are all fascially connected, and the pelvic floor never works all by itself. It needs its friends to help out. Our brains don't know isolated muscle function. It recognizes movement patterns. So that's what applied functional science brought to the table. And when we did the combination of women's and men's health and applied functional science, I would experiment with all different types of movement patterns and found that patients were actually doing much better when we took an integrated approach 
versus an isolated approach. That's awesome. Um, how have you seen not only your practice, but the practice of women's health evolve? Are people doing what you do and incorporating the whole pelvic floor, pelvic core neuromuscular system into their treatment now? The interesting thing is, is that initially everyone would look at what we were teaching and say, not quite sure where you're going with this because it was so isolated. But over the years, we've definitely seen an evolution throughout the continuing education world, throughout physical therapy, throughout personal training, where people are actually talking about integrating the pelvic floor muscles into workouts and not just making it all about the Kegel or the pelvic floor muscle contraction. So the evolution of it has definitely gone full circle and we see it continue to develop. And I'm glad to finally see people put posts up and provide research articles that actually integrate all these concepts. Because when I first started with it, they were very isolated concepts. And bringing them together was something that people kind of looked twice at and said, I'm not quite sure I understand where you're going with this. But now we see it come full circle. Um, Tina, you talk about the evolution of women's health and the assessment of the pelvic floor as a physical therapist. Can you kind of paint a picture for our audience of what that looks like from when you first started to become a physical therapist and um, assessing or treating the women's um, women's health or pelvic floor and how that looks today? Yes. the Initially, you know, when I took my very first women's health pregnancy course, and then one of the first courses where you actually learned how to assess the pelvic floor muscles. All of the treatment was very um, contained in a private room, appropriately so, and you never really took the patient out into the gym to do any type of functional activity. A lot of it was table-based, and you never really stood the patient up. Well, as you know, when I learned about applied functional science, it, it was like, no, I, I think we actually do need to stand the patient up because when they have pelvic floor dysfunction, it's usually when they're upright. It's not always when they're just lying down. So initially when I started practicing, did I practice that way? Absolutely, because that's how we learned it and we didn't know any different. But then as we started to evolve into understanding human chain reaction biomechanics, we actually learned that, you know what, we need to make it more authentic to how that person functions in their environment, whether it's for their everyday activities or whether it's for them playing a sport or just working out or just running around the park with their kids, we need to make it more authentic to function. So the nice thing that I'm trying to continue to teach and continue and encourage therapists to do is when they learn these type of methods, it almost takes the taboo away. It, it takes that secrecy away of what's happening behind those closed doors. And we can actually bring those patients out into the clinic and say, you know what, we're going to do exercises so that you feel comfortable. And so that you don't think that everybody believes you're coming into my clinic because you're peeing your pants, you know, or having pain in the, with sex or anything like that. So the nice thing is, is that we take that taboo away for the clinician, but honestly, we have to take it away for the public and for the patient, because I can't tell you how many doctors I've spoken to that say, you know what, I sent the patients to therapy, but they didn't go because they were afraid of what was going to happen. And they were kind of scared of they're going to 
examine what, you know? So it's nice when we can take a functional approach and when the time comes that we may have to do an ex- a pelvic floor exam, if it's appropriate and if the patient is comfortable, fine, if it's within that plan of care. But we can also make a huge difference without even having to do that by taking a functional approach. So it's nice to have the best of both worlds. So today, how many internal exams or internal treatment do you do percentage-wise with your patients versus maybe when you started? Um, I would say that, well, first of all, it depends. Yep. There's always that, that word, it depends. Because if we have a patient that is coming from a physician, a urogynecologist, a urologist, a gynecologist, there's an expectation. And depending on the diagnosis, of course, I would say that the actual evaluation, the percentages are probably close, but the actual treatment significantly has decreased in regards to that percentage. Now, that's not to say that it isn't necessary and appropriate for a particular patient population. It just says that when we understand function better, we actually can make a difference without necessarily having to go that internal treatment route. So I don't know if it's fair to put a percentage to it, but I will say that it definitely has decreased and the patients are successful. Well, and what I know it has done is has, it's not just the on the table, behind the doors treatment. Um, What I know you do with all of your patients and the way to treat the whole patient is to make sure with every patient you're including function. Yeah, which is super important. And that's why it's so great that through the Get Gray Institute, 3D Maps was developed to assess global function and to delineate where we might need to address local aspects more specifically. And then, of course, taking that assessment and applying it to the exercise program that we will provide. Mm -hmm. Um, In the female chain reaction, we teach components of a developmental impact progression to restore function, for example, after having a baby and return someone to impact. Currently, right now, there aren't guidelines for that. And we hope to continue to establish those guidelines to be able to encourage, again, clinicians to treat that population and to be able to allow someone to recover appropriately, whether they've had a baby, whether they've had a surgery, and how we can return them to what they want to do every day. Gina, I have a question for you. Um, understanding that the pelvic floor has three main functions, um, you know, for sexual arousal, um, support system for our visceral organs, and a sphincteric where it helps maintain our bladder and bowel. Can you speak to um, how you incorporate functional exercises as well as Kegels to help with that control as far as like bladder control, um, bowel control? Mm-hmm. Well, if we if we start with the, the Kegel exercise. And I just have to thank Dr. Arnold Kegel for many years ago putting his name on our pelvic floors. I really appreciate that. Um, he brought <laughs> awareness to it, which is great. I, I and, and it's not in any disrespect, it's to say thank you. Um, but that is a very isolated approach. And yes, it is, a, is it appropriate at times to bring that awareness to the patient? Absolutely. But as I said earlier, 
99% of function is subconscious. Our brain knows movement patterns, not isolated muscle contractions. So being able to incorporate a functional pattern, utilizing how the feet function, how the hips function, how the thoracic spine functions, and how we're going to now provide a plan of care that will integrate all of those regions of the body. Because hand in hand, one example, if a patient has bladder dysfunction, incontinence, almost hand in hand, they have tight gastroxoleus muscles, their feet are stiff, they have weakness throughout the intrinsic foot muscles. And when we address those issues, we can start at the feet and they actually start seeing improvement in how their bladder functions. Wow. Very cool. Thank you, Tina. When are Kegels not appropriate? So if you have a pelvic floor that might be what we consider tight, shortened, non-relaxing, and that can happen for a variety of reasons. Um, Sometimes a woman may have had a history of urinary tract infections, and it's set up this neuromuscular pattern where the muscles are always in this protective state. And if you think of it in the way of everybody knows what a bicep curl is. If I were to hold my arm in a bicep curl position, would it be able to produce power if it was at that end range? It wouldn't be able to, and it would fatigue. So if we find that there is something, for example, called pelvic floor tension myalgia, or any of the different types of pelvic pain where there is tightness in that region, we really don't want to continue to facilitate that. We almost want to take the direction, well, I shouldn't say almost, we do want to take the direction of down training and relaxation and being able, again, to integrate those muscles to work appropriately, not to be hanging out at that end range like a bicep curl would be, because then we wouldn't be able to lift anything with our arms. So the same thing happens in the pelvic floor. It can't maintain closure, potentially. It doesn't provide appropriate support because of that. Tina, kind of along those lines, can you speak to how you incorporate function with that patient that comes in and they've had chronic pain and they're irritable to the touch, um, they have an inactive lifestyle, how do you incorporate function into helping them increase if they do have some spasticity within their pelvic floor? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the beauty of applied functional science is that simply by getting them to move where they already are successful and using that three-dimensional approach, I have found that with those type of patients, because they feel the difference right away when you use, tri- for example, triplanar stretching, triplanar hip drivers and a hip flexor stretch or a hip adductor stretch, right away they feel the difference. And because they feel the difference so quickly, they buy into it more because they're like, well, I, I've never felt like that before. You know, you add in some of the functional manual reaction and you know how we all do that in the true stretch most of the time. And they walk out of this true stretch and they're like, they think you're magical because they're walking with more bounce in their step. They feel better right away. And they're like, I don't know what you did, but I feel so much better. I feel a change. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that that helps significantly because I think, unfortunately, many times 
and approach with chronic pain is they start to feel discomfort during exercise and then that just turns them off to it versus if we can take an approach where they start more successful, they see the difference and then they're more compliant. Um, I think a fellow from, uh, with applied functional science from the Gary Gray Institute myself, um, something that Gary Gray does a great job at is incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Can you speak mm-hmm. to how you incorporate the mind, body, spirit into this patient population? Yeah, so that's a super important thing because certainly at every single evaluation when we speak to these patients, one of the first questions that I ask them is, what do they want to do? What have they not been able to do? What do they want to get back to? Because just as an example, one of my clinicians in my clinic currently is pregnant and she's a runner and she's a marathon runner. And she right now, she's about six weeks away from delivery. And on Monday, she said she just needed to go for a jog, even though her pelvic floor took the hit for it because (laughs) she was walking into the clinic on Tuesday a little more gingerly. And I looked at her and I said, are you feeling okay? And she's like, yeah. And then she, she shared tell you. No, she shared with me later that she felt, you know, a little more pelvic floor pressure, but that jog was therapeutic to her. It affected her mind, her body, her spirit. It, it was important. It also helped her to recognize that now for the next six weeks, let's stay a little more <laughs> low impact. So that's just one example of that. But being able to give them the ability to do what they want to do and then incorporating exercises that fit into their day. Because when I was a therapist just newly out of school, I think I used to give three hours worth of exercise to my patients. When you use applied functional science, you can get something done in a few minutes, and it has a big impact. And again, when we talk mind, body, spirit, if someone says, you know what, I can make myself feel better in three to 10 minutes versus an hour, again, that helps them to get compliant. back, yes, be more compliant and get back to what they want to do. All right, you know, we've talked about support systems and we've talked about the sphincteric function of the pelvic floor, but let's talk about sex. How do you incorporate function um, when treating patients that have painful intercourse? So I'm going to back up for a second. You bring their spouse in? Yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, we'll start first just with the patient, okay? So last summer I had a college student come in and I've known her since, you know, she was in high school and know her whole family and have treated her whole family. But she came in with the diagnosis of dyspareunia, which is pain with intercourse, and she's, you know, was a freshman in college and Knowing her and knowing her family, I thought, okay, you know, it's we're going to have these conversations that are going to be sometimes a little awkward, but very needed. So here's the interesting thing. She is a patient that we came to find out always had pain with using a tampon. No amount of pain should ever be considered normal with using a tampon. And we need to educate our young females about that. She didn't know that. That's so sad. She thought that was just kind of how it was. So she chose not to use those and instead use pads during menstruation. So then when she became sexually active, there was an issue. And fortunately, her mom knew to take her to the doctor because she 
felt comfortable enough to talk to her mom about this, and she's 19. So the doctor sent her to me, and we definitely had to address issues through her whole pelvic muscular system. She had scoliosis. She had a history of low back pain. So we were able to incorporate comfortable exercises for her to do with an applied functional science basis, doing on-ground type stretching, talking about positioning, talking about what's normal, talking about using lubricant. I mean, all of these things were super important for her. So the really cool thing was, is I treated her over the summer. By the end of the summer, she was 100% better. She was very happy, obviously. And she decided she was going to broadcast this to all of her friends because all of her friends, many of them, also had some issues. So how interesting that that population, you know, if nobody talks about it, they're never going to find the help that could make a huge difference because I've actually treated women in their 60s who always had painful sex. Tina, I think you bring up a, a great subject. Um, as a pelvic floor therapist who's been practicing for a couple of years treating the pelvic floor, over time, I've noticed that there's been more awareness and more women talking about pelvic floor issues, whether it be, you know, pain with intercourse or experiencing incontinence after childbirth. But you're just starting to hear um, a lot more about dysfunction of the pelvic floor. Absolutely. And the the cool thing was, is recently I did see a commercial on TV, and this was in reference to endometriosis, but the young girl is sitting on the table and the doctor's asking her questions and asking her questions about pain. And all of a sudden this alter ego comes out and says, tell him, tell him everything hurts. Tell him it all is awful. And totally seen that commercial. Finally, it's it's on TV. I mean, that's the first time we've seen something like that. So again, the taboo is being lifted. Females should have enjoyable sex. It should be pleasurable. And it shouldn't be painful ever. So if you walk away from this podcast with nothing else, just know that it should never hurt. And Just to verify that, I have received flowers from my patients, husbands, or significant others as a thank you. And I've, and some of those significant others I never met. Some of them I did, but doesn't that speak volumes about how we can affect not just our patient, but that patient's relationship and how their partnership is with their partner, which is a huge quality of life issue. I mean, let's face it, sex is an activity of daily living. Yes. How often? We're not really, not to speak to necessarily every day, but it's an activity of daily living. And it may be for some, <laughs> but again, just like going to the bathroom is an activity of daily living, we need to be able to understand what is normal and what isn't normal and how we can improve the quality of life for those patients. That's fantastic. Well, speaking of improving the quality of life and how far our industry has come and the community has come in awareness, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology just recently in the last year redefined the fourth trimester by including physical therapy as a standard of care in postpartum recovery. And we're going to talk about that in our next podcast with Tina. So tune in. Uh, If you have any feedback, as always, you can email us at therapistsinmotion at spoonerpt.com. 
Thanks for listening.